This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycast. Joy 94.9. This is Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Have your say. 1300 Joy 949. Gay, gay News, News Week. Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Joy, Joy 94.9. A very good evening to you and welcome to Gay News Week on Joy 94.9 with... Katie Larson, Shannon Gillies and myself Matt Thompson. As we go to air tonight, Labor is voting who will lead the party to the September 14 election. We'll be bringing you all of the latest. Here at Gay News Week, we cover the topics that have been in the GLBTI news over the past week and how they impact you, us and our community. And on tonight's show, as I just said briefly, that we will be covering the Labor leadership spill. Um, The caucus is voting right now as we go to air tonight um, who will lead the party to the September 14 election. As soon as we have a result, we'll be bringing in our commentators, Dr Lauren Rose Warren. She's a senior lecturer at the Melbourne University School of Social and Political Sciences. Also, Rory Cahill, he's the politics and society editor at The Conversation. They'll be bringing us all of the latest if something happens throughout the show this evening. Of course, first up, though, we will be talking about how community radio has been uh, been given the funding to secure its digital future. That's something a very a very big, important uh, story for the community. Absolutely. Yeah, no, really, really good news out of Commit to Community Radio and good timing uh, before the next election as well. So Very convenient, isn't it? Very good. Well, look, can't, you know, it's a good news story, so we're happy to talk about that one. Certainly. Then uh, we'll be speaking to Anna Brown from the Victorian Gay and Lesbian Rights Lobby and also Sally Goldner from Transgender Victoria about the Sex Discrimination Amendment Bill, which was passed through on Tuesday night, last night. Absolutely. This is fantastic news as well. So I'll be really looking forward to speaking to both of them and finding out what that all means. Certainly. And of course, this is our last show on a Wednesday for Gay News Week. Um, So we'll be speaking to the boys from The Locker Room. They'll be in next Wednesday from 7pm and they'll be bringing you all the latest sports news throughout the week. We're moving to Tuesdays. That's right. Tuesdays, 7pm. Tuesdays, 7pm. Must remember that next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't (laughs) sleep through that one. Throughout the show, if you want to share your thoughts on what's happening in the political sphere or if anything we're talking about today, this is how you do so. You're listening to the Gay Newsweek podcast with Katie, Jeffrey, and Matt. Get in touch. Email gaynewsweek at joy.org.au or check out joy.org.au slash gaynewsweek for all of the links to our social media pages. It's Katie, Matt and Shannon with you this evening. Uh, Shannon is monitoring our Twitter feeds and monitoring the situation that's happening in Canberra and she'll keep you up to date with anything that's happening. She's uh, on, on her iPad right now making sure everything's happening right. Um, we just saw the MPs, go- Labor MPs, going into their caucus meeting a short mm. time ago. Uh, they're all in there. They're talking Blue now. Blue ties are plenty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it, it's it, currently being compared to a uh, jewel and Harry Potter. It's a bit like that, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of like, only one can survive. <laughs> it's like Highlander, but kind of with worse costumes. Well, there's certainly all the drama that you would expect out of Harry Potter, or perhaps a soap opera. Exactly. The Labor Party has been full with news today, but one story that you haven't probably heard too much about is the fact that the Labor Party has announced, the government has announced, that it has secured funding for the digital future of community radio today. That's right. The Commit to Community Radio campaign has been running for some months now. Mm -hmm. It was found out that there was potentially not going to be enough funding to basically keep community digital services on air, Mm -hmm. uh, which was obviously 
really a threat to the long-term future of community radio as radio moves more to digital. So um, it's been a long and very determined campaign mm-hmm. by Commit to Community Radio and it's fantastic to see that this funding has now come through yep. and um, very much, in the sh- at least in the short term, um, assured the future of community digital radio. Totally. The government has announced that it will commit $6 million over three years to enable community digital radio services to stay on air, which is really important. Absolutely. Well, that's what they needed. And it was um, thanks to tens of thousands of people who actually stood up and said it was important. There was obviously a petition running online. A lot of people signed that and just getting the the word out as much as possible. Um, Obviously, it's very important to us at Joy, but also important to keep the diversity um, of of radio alive. Totally. That petition attracted more than 43,000 signatures to it, which is, um, it's a big response and oh. it's very good and it just shows that the community does want and need its community radio sector. Absolutely. I fully support that. Adrian Basso, the president yes. of the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia, said the decision is a fantastic outcome for community radio stations and listeners and a big boost to media diversity in Australia and that's what it is because community radio does provide a, a, a diverse, uh, a, a range of diversity throughout it. Absolutely. And, I mean, if you look at the people who have access to it, there is no other way they'll ever get to air. I mean, Mm. there was a show on Tanzania on Monday night here on Joy Mm -hmm. and talking about the abuse that the LGBT community suffers in that country. Where else are you hearing that? Where else? I mean, I don't see that happening on Fox. No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't see much happening on Fox. (laughs) Certainly. They have a great music selection. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. So it's these kinds of stories. I love Gwen Stefani too. (laughs) Totally. Um, Look, it's a very very welcome decision um, from the federal government. Obviously, they've got some more important things that are happening in Canberra this evening. Yes. Kind of like who's leading their party. Oh, is it the same old story with that one, though? Could be Vanilla Red. Yeah, well, um, that's one of the things. And we will be talking about that a little bit later um, when we actually get a result out of the caucus meeting. We want to hear from you what you think of the whole situation. Is it a bit of a farce? Oh, yeah, oh you've stolen <laughs> my word. I have spent much of the afternoon going, this is a farce, because it is a farce. Um, but it's also hard not to watch. Like, seriously, totally. it really is very hard not to watch. The most um, interesting thing that I'm sort of, I, I mean, you know, we don't want to call it. We haven't made bets because mm-hmm. uh, we don't have any money. But, yeah, um, but Bill Shorten has come out in support of Kevin Rudd, which is... um I think one of the key indicators here that we may actually see um, Kevin Rudd coming back in as the Prime Minister. What happens from there? Nobody knows. Look, but there's, there's been a couple of spills. Um, uh, there's one especially that I thought of um, a little while ago. Nothing really came of that one. I think something's going to come of it tonight. Yeah, I do too. I Look, I, I, I suspected it would probably, it would probably happen eventually um, just because of the... So uh, the appalling performance of the Labor Party and also the current Prime Minister in the polls. I'm just going to bring out the history, historical record of the Labor Party for a mm-hmm. second. Yep. If you remember back to the days of Mark Latham and when, of course, he, he lost mm. and he did his book release, but he had this really great quote, what was wrong with the Labor Party before I was in charge? Mm. It's still wrong. Mm. So I think whatever was wrong with Kevin Rudd, why they originally rolled him... Mm. It's still going to be there. So it's like, what are you doing, ALP? This is right. And it's also, you know, I mean, the the fact of the matter is we're watching exactly what played out um, three years ago, four years ago. Yeah. Um, once again, it's just, you know, they've swapped sides. Totally. We mm. will be covering this. Up next, though, we are talking about the Sex Discrimination Amendment Bill, which was passed last night in Parliament. Uh, we'll be talking to Sally Goldner and Anna Brown next. So stick around. We've got heaps more to come. 
You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station. Joy 94.9. Gay Newsweek. It's Katie, Matt and Shannon with you this evening. We've got some breaking news. Sky News and News.com.au have both reported that Kevin Rudd has won the ALP leadership ballot. It's not confirmed yet. We still haven't got a confirmation. When we get confirmation, we'll definitely report it. But they've already called it right now. Yep. Well, Herald Sun's also calling it, so let's just wait till we get some official confirmation. <laughs> to- totally. In the meantime... In the meantime... Um, the sexual discrimination amendment bill passed its final hurdle last night when the House of Representatives approved the bill for a second time, assuring the changes to the Commonwealth anti-discrimination laws. Joining us to discuss what this means is the convener of the Victorian Gay and Lesbian Rights Lobby, Anna Brown. Anna, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me on. That's a pleasure. Um, can you provide us with a quick overview on exactly what the main changes are under the amendments? Sure. Well, at the moment, it's quite simple. At the moment, we don't have any protections federally. We've got an Age Discrimination Act, the Sex Discrimination Act, which protects women and um, and discrimination on the basis of pregnancy and breastfeeding and things like that. We've got a Race Discrimination Act. We've got a Disability Discrimination Act, but we have nothing that protects gay, lesbian, transgender and intersex people from discrimination. So it's been a massive gap in our laws um, for you know, obviously since the country's inception, but in particular, um, it's something that's become increasingly relevant as there's been claims brought against Centrelink and mm. the like, and whether you're an employee or you're the recipient of goods and services um, from a federal agency, there's actually some really significant gaps in our laws. So this was an opportunity to make sure that we had comprehensive protections at a national level. Can we go a little bit more specific than that? How is this going to shift the current experience of discrimination around sexual orientation and gender identity on a day-to-day basis for the GLBTI community? Sure. Well, I mean, I guess it does a couple of things. It means that if you have um, you suffer discrimination, you've got more options now. Mm-hmm. Um, and not and you have to remember, not everyone has protections under their state and territory laws. So um, if you're in New South Wales and you're discriminated against and you're bisexual, uh, you actually don't have um, a legal um, claim that you can bring. Now that we have a national law... Um, those bits and those gaps in state and territory protections are actually covered now. But more importantly, we've got a world first in this law, which is that intersex people yeah. have been protected in a way that um, I guess they've described as accurate. And I'm sure Sally can talk a bit more about this, although obviously intersex and trans are two different, different categories. Mm. Um, so intersex people have historically not been separately recognised and protected mm. from discrimination, and this is a this is an Australian first, and indeed a we think a world first um, in terms of best practice and protection from discrimination for them. And a truly significant point in terms of these changes. Um, do you think this, or do you hope well, this will provide a catalyst for similar changes internationally? Is there is there anything, any kind of push happening in other countries around this area, or is this very much an, an Australian first scenario? Um, I suppose. Well, there, ha- there has been attempts in other countries and some level of recognition, but um, not to this extent. And I was recently in Geneva um, meeting with a range of human rights defenders from around the world, and there was different LGBTI activists from all different countries, and they were really heartened to hear of our development and um, certainly t- watching us with, in- with close interest to see what they could do to make sure that 
um, our changes could have a, have have some influence in their domestic situation. Some of the other changes are gender identity, having that as a category, also changing um, sexual preference to sexual orientation, which I think is very important, and um, a marital or relationship status rather than just mar- marital status. Um, the other area of change is around aged care. Um, so the, re- the imagine- amendments there will remove exemptions for religious providers of aged care services. What about other? What about religious? exemptions um, for other community service organisations? Uh, the the exempt, well, it gets a bit complicated. The carve-out okay. from the exemption only applies to aged care. So at the moment, we've got very broad exemptions for religious organisations, which are strongly criticised by, obviously, organisations like the Gay and Lesbian Rights Lobby, yeah. but others and human rights experts. Um, and this is, I guess, the first... Um, in, in I guess, dismantling these exemptions. We've got a very, I think, a very significant win in that um, even if it is only in aged care, it's one area that's actually been... Um, that faith-based organisations have been told explicitly you cannot discriminate, even mm. if even if you have particular re- religious beliefs. And what was really great about the way this happened is that all the faith-based service providers came out and actually supported the removal of this exemption as well. So mm. um, in the end, it was really only the Australian Christian Lobby and um, some of the more conservative church groups, but the actual agencies that deliver services on the ground that already say we don't look we don't discriminate we don't need these exemptions from the law they were coming out very strongly in support of this um so in the end the coalition um didn't support this part of the bill and ultimately didn't support the bill as a result and um i mean we say that that's a real failure for yeah. the LGBTI community yeah. in Australia and something that we need to be aware of, that the, the coalition wouldn't support these reforms, um, with the exception of a couple that crossed the floor or abstained. Okay. Um, but that means that hopefully in the future, um, when the sky doesn't fall in and people see that um, removing these exemptions for religious organisations in aged care um, leads to better quality care mm. and and um, more confidence um, in people accessing these services, then we can hopefully slowly see the religious exemptions moved away in other areas of service delivery as well. Yeah, absolutely. How far off, um, because I think, I believe that was a part of the original um, proposal, how far uh, off is what has been achieved from the originally proposed amendments? Uh, Well, it's a bit of a long history. The so originally the government was going to consolidate all of those federal anti-discrimination laws that I mentioned at the start into one act yep. and add these new protections for the LGBTI community. And because of a lot of um, controversy over some particular provisions in that bill, I think there was a very successful um, campaign driven by people like the, um, I, the IPA and the, obviously the coalition and others against that consolidated bill, um, the government decided to defer it um, indefinitely and proceed with a more limited exercise. So at least before the the election, they got these new protections for the LGBTI community through and importantly, this um, limitation on discrimination in aged care services. Yeah, so it was an important aspect of this to get the bill or the changes, the amendments changed um, before potentially... We don't really know what's happening with the government at the moment, but potentially no. before a new government was in place, yeah. assuming based on the um, the idea that it was going to be a coalition government. 
Yeah, I, well, definitely, and it was something that was an election commitment, and um, we were promised. And as I mean, there's advocates that have been working on this for a lot longer than me that have been around um, since it was first raised in Parliament 17 years ago. That have been trying to um, get these protections through, and each time they get usually get um, embroiled in a more complex process, mm. um, and so. You know, at this point, we're this close to the end of the election cycle. The government just said, "Look, we just need to get this done, even if it's not perfect, even if we don't achieve the um, broader aims of the consolidate, what was called the consolidation process, and that yep. was lifting um, the tests and the, the standards in discrimination laws federally across the board um, to, you know, a better benchmark. Um, we don't get all of those systemic protect systemic improvements, but we do get these essential." Um, new protections that fill gaps across state and territory laws and set a new national standard for protection for LGBTI people. Absolutely. Um, now, it's certainly very, very important that what has been passed has been. You commented today that it's been a 17-year discussion in Australian par- Parliament. How has the conversation changed in that time? Well, I mean, it's just... In, I mean, you think back to 17 years ago and... Um, we just didn't have the same level of public support for these types of reforms. When the polling was done on this before the election, 85% of Australians now now think that um, gay and lesbian people need to be protected from discrimination. So there, there really is such a strong shift in community support and acceptance of diversity and obviously um, the various campaigns around marriage equality that that have started to take place across the world and mm. in Australia, obviously. Yeah. Absolutely, and an important we often talk about um, on this show is how important it is for countries like Australia to be progressive and pushing on these issues when there's still so much discrimination um, worldwide. So um, thank you so much for joining us, Anna. Um, it's great to get a better understanding of what is happening with that, uh, and we look forward to chatting to you sometime down the track. Great, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you very much to Anna Brown. Uh, before we get to Sally Goldner, uh, some breaking news. Uh, we believe that uh, Kevin Rudd has won the ballot. Um, almost all media sources are going. ABC News 24 has not cut in with breaking news yet. Okay. Um, they are waiting for the final confirmation, but nearly everybody has. Um, there's also reports that Kevin Rudd will go for an August 24 election. August 24 That's like election. two months. Oh, it's going to be a... Anyway. It's gonna be a tough Maybe we'll have marriage equality in two months. Maybe we will. We'll see. See if he keeps to his word. That'll be interesting. We will Maybe ha- he'll need another cup of coffee. Maybe he'll change his mind. What if Maybe. it's decaf? We will have our commentators uh, breaking down the whole situation for us shortly. In the meantime, I want to bring in Sally Goldner from Transgender Victoria um, on this sex discrimination amendment bill that went through Parliament. Um, good evening, Sally, and thanks for joining us. Good evening and absolute pleasure to be with you. First of all, can you just start off with how is this going to affect transgender people or, or the trans community as a whole in as specifically on a day-to-day basis? This will be a great benefit in, in three ways. First of all, it's a very comprehensive definition of trans that would cover um, people who in, in terms of their identity um, do not identify as male or female, so people such as genderqueer and that, to my knowledge, has not happened anywhere in Australia before. It's a definition that met with pretty much everyone's approval around the trans and gender-diverse type community, so that's great. Hmm. And then how does that work? Well, individually, let's if we had previously, as Anna just said, there was no protection. So to give a hypothetical, if someone was working in a federal public service job, 
and they were told, well, sorry, we're not going to promote you and we're going to sack you because you need to transition. They would have had very little, if any, redress. Now, they've got exactly the same redress as someone working, say, in a Victorian public service or Victorian business job. Now, Sally, with that... With that, what actual part of the amendments does that come under? So does that come under the gender identity discrimination part That's of it? That's right. Having, having the gender identity attribute is what protects trans, trans and gender diverse people. So it's not, a, not only a classification, but it's linked into discrimination? That's right. So it's, in broad, in, it's pretty much the same, as, the same sort of protection as what people would have at a Victorian state level in terms of the areas of life covered and yet it's, except it's broader in terms of the types of um, the full range, one might say, of trans people who are covered. So you said today that um, given it is a federal change that you urge all state and territory governments to consider updating their laws by using the new um, federal definition of gender identity. So with this shift, um, it... it it does basically cover transgender people, as you were just saying then, though, nationally. So it's really just a case of the formality of the states and territories changing their laws. Would that be right? That would be pretty much it. Yeah, look, it would be just consistent, simple. That would obviously meet with the agreement of business so that they'd only have one definition. You know, eventually one would hope around all jurisdictions and we would be happy with it too. It would be a total win-win. Absolutely. Now, I know transgender is a separate um, term from intersex, but it's also pretty um, exciting news here that there's a world first use of the intersex term in law. That's right, yeah. It is the first um, time that a national anti-discrimination law has included intersex in a way that really looks at the intersex being what it is, and that is bodily differentiation. Mm. And, you know, it's been a huge effort by organisation Intersex International Australia and in, in there people like Gina Wilson, Morgan Carpenter, Tony Briffer, whose this very patient mm. education made it really easy, I think, for the government in the end to say, yep, we need definitely need a separate attribute. So it's really, really clear. So that's going to be a great breakthrough, and I think, practically for intersex people. The other part of life from individual discrimination for both, for all of us, is systemic discrimination. So this could make a difference, say, in um, coverage of medical procedures or stopping them, that sort of systemic stuff can also now be worked through as well. So how how does that come into it? How can that be worked through now? Well, now that we are recognised under an anti-discrimination law, government policies would have to, um, when they're formulated, make sure that they're not discriminatory against transgender, diverse or intersex, but current ones could be looked at to bring it more to a trans focus, it is at least theoretically possible that the lack of public um, um, public um, coverage for trans surgeries might be seen as displaying uh, discrimination. Okay. So it has it has huge effects, and um, you know we saw what happened. I think you know, going back to you know, twelve and a half years ago, when the laws came in in Victoria, we saw such change in so many things. Systemically, I think we could um, you know have have much the same sorts of things happening here. So it's a really, really promising breakthrough. And just finally, Sally, the, um, obviously the amendments were amended through the process of, of getting them passed. Um, from a chan- transgender perspective, um, are, you very, are you happy with what's actually been passed or does it fall a little bit short of what you were hoping for? Yeah, look, the, as I say, the overall definition is great and the fact that we're on the board, if there are two shortcomings, as Anna said, one of them is the religious exemptions, but the other one... For us and for intersex is still the broad sport exemption, which really is very 
sex and gender binary, stereotypical, and to some degree, I think it's fair to say sexist because it is, you know, it's sort of this assumption that men must be tall and muscular and women yeah. short and petite sort of thing. Right. And I think we've still got some distance to travel to work through that on both at um, well, Victorian and federal and some other states and territories have it to at least get it so it's a case-by-case situation rather than being a very blanket sort of exemption. They'd probably be disappointments. Um, and I agree also with Anna that it would have been nice to have some of the systemic backup that a full consolidation mm. process had planned to do. But look, I think you could say that whereas before we were at zero out of 10 in terms of federal protection, we're at say six and a half, seven now, and that's got to be you know, something that gives us a base to work from. All right, Sally Golden, a spokesperson for Transgender Victoria. Thank you very much for bringing us uh, the views of the transgender community on that one. Uh, We really appreciate you taking the time to speak to Gay Newsweek. No worries. Thank you for the opportunity. And, yeah, now it's, um, well, um, there's probably still lots of multitasking going on given what's going on in Canberra. There's a little bit of that. There certainly is. Thanks, Thanks, Sally. Bye-bye. All right, so uh, basically we're on breaking news alert right now. We are waiting for all of the stories to come through. Nobody has actually officially stood out and confirmed it apart from News Limited and Sky News. They've called it uh, 29 minutes since the ballot got underway. We're still waiting for confirmation completely. We believe it's still underway. Um, We'll bring you the latest uh, in a moment. Stick around on Gay Newsweek. Gay Newsweek. Yes, it's Katie, Shannon and Matt with you this evening on this special Labor edition of Gay <laughs> Newsweek as we go to air tonight. The Labor leadership ballot. You like that one, did you, Katie? No, not really. <laughs> but um, it's funny. It's a nervous laugh. <laughs> we, we do believe the vote is sti- still being counted in um, the caucus room at the moment of who will win um, the leadership ballot that is being held right now. It's between Julia Gillard and Kevin Rudd. We're still awaiting confirmation on whether they are um, whether we have a result on the um, on the whole situation. Um, first of all, I just want to bring in Lauren Rose Warren and find out. Um, Lauren, uh, thanks for joining us. You are a uh, senior lecturer from Melbourne's University of Social and Political Sciences. Have we got a result just yet? No, I'm scared. Um, I've got the television on, news, news <laughs> online in front of me. Um, no. All right. News.com are kind of calling it Prime Minister Rudd, but <laughs> in fact, they're still in there talking. Yeah, right. I was interested when you said that it's a Labor edition. Do you think that's a selling point for your program? I don't I'm necessarily think concerned. it is. I'm also concerned. I'm we, I'd, like, I'd like Matt to formally retract that. I withdraw, Speaker. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I tell you what, what we're going to do, we're going to check in with Andrew Potts for all the international headlines. Well, we still wait for a result. We will get back to you, Lauren. Um, so stick around. Uh, we're going we're gonna to fi- find out what's happening around the world first. Right. Just one moment. Your voice, your radio station. Joy 94.9. Yes, it's Katie and Matt with you this evening on Gay News Week. And of course, it has been a very big day here in Australia with Australian politics and everything that's going on with the Labor Party at the moment. But I thought we'd uh, just take a little bit of time out to uh, take a look at some of the stories that are making news across the world. Uh, And as always, we're joined by Andrew Potts from Gay Star News. Good evening, Andrew. Hey, guys. Yeah, it is a welcome break from Australian politics. Um, And first of all, we'll start off in Chile, where 70,000 have marched for LGBT pride, but this is happening alongside some issues with the civil unions bill. Uh, that's correct. So 70,000 people marched through the, the, the 
Chilean capital, Santiago, uh, that they, they were doing it at the same time as a civil unions bill has been stalling in the Congress. Is that the biggest turnout that's ever been seen for that Pride March? It seems uh, a phenomenal I, number to, to us, I suppose. A, but I, I couldn't say it was the biggest, but it's certainly the biggest in years. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, so that, that bill was introduced by President Sebastian Pinera mm-hmm. uh, himself, but it's it's been stalling there. Mm. Um, but what has been a good sign is is the, the, the issue of same-sex marriage has become uh, a real big election issue in Chile. So mm. there are actually four presidential candidates who marched in the Pride Parade themselves, and uh, Michelle Bachelot, who's the leading uh, leading candidate to win the election, uh, she sent a letter of support as well. Um, she only left office because Chile uh, restricts presidents to single terms, mm. and when she left, she had an 84% uh, approval rate, so there's a very good chance that she's going to get back in and legalise same-sex wow. marriage in Chile. Yeah. And see, that's the thing, it's when these, these uh, when equal marriage becomes an election issue, it's actually a really good thing for the country because there is sentiment growing around the world that's coming around to this idea. So once it becomes an election issue, um, everybody wants to be on the right side of history. That's correct. Absolutely. All right. And the next story up is um, Shanghai Pride. Bit of pride happening in Shanghai. Not quite the same numbers in the streets uh, because there was a government ban on marching, but still a very successful event. Is that that's how it's come around, Andrew? That's right. So this is a fifth uh, fifth annual Shanghai Pride Festival. Um, unlike other countries, they they can't have a Pride March because there's an official ban on on public protest in China. Mm. Um, but they did manage to get uh, sorry uh, three thousand people uh, to the closing party of the event, and that's the highest turnout they've ever had. Mm. Um, they the opening party, they they got double the numbers that they are expecting. So, wow. what's the situation for LGBT people in China? Um, so, homosexuality is is decriminalised, mm-hmm. um, but there are no anti discrimination laws uh, or laws recognising uh, same sex relationships. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the government is becoming more and more gay friendly in in. in baby steps mm. um, but the bigger concern is is just any sort of political activity right. so any any event that could be construed to be political you'd, you'd see the authorities getting involved there and in fact uh, three of the venues that that uh, that were supposed to be holding events cancelled after the authorities got in touch with them so the more cultural type events were the ones that were fine to go ahead um, yeah. whereas anything okay I, okay well that's still still pretty impressive and I think three thousand for the festival is um more than I would have expect necessarily expected, given you know it's China. And I, I, I will note that there was there was an attempt at a charge at a pride march in Henan province, uh-huh. which ended up with one of the organisers being held in detention for twelve days. Right. Okay. Turning to Turkey now, and the fourth annual transgender pride march has uh, been uh, a bit hijacked almost in Istanbul. Yeah. So uh, it's Istanbul's Pride Week at the moment, and that, that the week is. Uh, Traditionally, it starts off with a transgender pride march and then a full LGBT pride march at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government have said that they won't uh, won't allow those marches to go th- uh, go f- uh, forward. Uh, luckily, the transgender march has been a success. There were no reports of police violence. It's most likely because there were a number of opposition MPs who decided to march with the protesters. Wow, strength in numbers kind of thing. Uh, well, more strength in... Uh, not being able to beat up your opposition MPs right. on on you know uh, world television, I think. Totally. Um, and so, uh, but there, there, there's been a lot of involvement with the, the LGBT community and the Gezi Park protest movement. Mm. 
Uh, so uh, a lot of the slogans that were being uh, yelled by the transgender marches were about Gezi Park and the event basically turned into a, another Gezi Park protest. Yeah, that seems to be the same case. And last week we talked about um, LGBT people being targeted as part of those protests. So is, is there is that's, is, this is sort of following on from that as well? I'd, I'd say so. What was quite nice because... Turkey is quite a conservative country. Um, the, the the marches were actually uh, applauded by bystanders. Mm, okay, great. So this is a again in Turkey. Um, we've had a few stories out of Turkey recently uh, in terms of LGBT rights and acceptance. So it seems like it's there's some moves being made, and they're actually being supported by the ongoing protests that are happening as part of Gezi Park generally. Well, I mean, Gezi, the whole Gezi Park thing is it's not just about the park; it's about secular yeah. secularism in the country. Yes. And there's there's been a, a real divide throughout Turkey's modern history between uh, Islamists uh, who have until recently been in, out of power and, and quite hardcore secularists. Okay. Um, so the, the, it's the the, the uh, Islamic party has gotten in. I mean, they're, they're, they're a moderate Islamic party, yeah. but they've been doing things like restricting sales of alcohol and, and enforcing some kinds of modesty laws. So there's a, a lot of resistance to that. Okay, cool. All right, and uh, next up tonight, the gay man has become Secretary of the US Air Force, so that's the highest-ranking LGBT person in the Air Force now. That's right. So Eric Fanning, uh, he was already the under-secretary under for the Air Force, uh, so he automatically became Acting Secretary of the Air Force after the previous secretary, Michael Donnelly, retired. Um, now, it's a, it's a good look for, for, for uh, Fanning because Donnelly got his job as acting secretary of the Air Force. Okay. So there's a good chance that uh, Obama may pick him, uh, Fanning, uh, to take the, the role, role on full time. And he actually, he's gotten the job uh, only two months after beginning, beginning becoming undersecretary. So that's a fairly meteoric uh, rise. Yeah, good. Uh, he's been with the, the working in government since before Don't Ask, Don't, don't Tell was, okay. was introduced. And he's also got, gotten to see it leave on his watch. Ah, so he's quite happy good. about that. And last up this evening, uh, turning to the Philippines, where the Catholic Church uh, wants uh, the producers of a Philippine soap opera to tone down some of the LGBT themes um, after I think there was a, a same-sex romance occurring. Oh, it, it's much more than that. It's, oh. The show is actually, it's called uh, My Husband's Lover and it's become oh. pretty much the hit show in the Philippines now and it's about a woman who find it, finds out her husband is having an affair with a, 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 a childhood school friend. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> not good news. So, um, <laughs> Sounds like great news to me. <laughs> yeah, so the Catholic, the Catholic Bishops' Conference of the Philippines, they're, they're quite unhappy about this show being so yeah. popular and the, the, the same-sex themes in it. So there are uh, Episcopal Commissioner on Youth, Father Kunagundo Gargantang. He's uh, warned the producers that they should adhere to moral, the moral standards of the Catholic Church uh, and do more research before this doing thing. And re- he said to remind them that their country had a culture that valued morality. Yeah, it's very Catholic, the old Philippines. Now, the government's got in on, on this. Uh, the Office of the President of the Philippines, uh, following Father Gargantang's comics, comments, uh, told parents that if they saw any breach of or broadcast rules, they should report them to the Movie and Television Review and Classification Board. But the show's so popular that they wouldn't single out the show for, for uh, that treatment. see. Tricky. Very interesting indeed. All right, Andrew Potts from Gay Star News, thank you so much for bringing us all of those stories that are happening around the globe on such a very big day here in Australia. Anytime. Gay Newsweek.
Yes, it is. Uh, Katie, Matt and uh, Shannon with you this evening as we continue um, to monitor the vote of everything that's happening in Canberra this evening. Yeah, and very, you know, we're excited to hear who it's going to be once again as the Labor Party goes into vote. A political correspondent for the Australian Financial Review, James Masola, has just tweeted that he got a text message just then from a Labor MP saying voting is finished. Ah. Latika Burke from the ABC, however, has said there won't be an announcement until 8pm tonight, so we are faced with the prospect that perhaps we won't get a result uh, by the end of Gay News Week tonight. No, but there will be... How rude. I know. Don't, are they aware of our deadline? (laughs) (laughs) We tried to tell them earlier and they said, it's not important. In the meantime, let's speak to Dr Lauren Rosewarn. She's a senior lecturer at the University of Melbourne School of Social and Political Sciences. Uh, Hello again, Dr Lauren Rosewarn. Hello, please call me Lauren. Lauren, sure, (laughs) not a problem. Uh, So, first of all, let's just give a bit of a recap. What have we seen this afternoon? So we've seen Julia Gillard decide that that, um, it's untenable for her to continue a Prime Ministership with this level of speculation and challenging of her legitimacy, so she's thrown it open to a poll at 7 o'clock, have it sorted out by tomorrow morning in the hope, presumably, that Rudd wouldn't get the numbers um, in that shorter time frame. It looks like it's going to work against her, particularly since I don't think she anticipated that um, Bill Shorten would come out and support Rudd. Yeah, that's a pretty significant shift. Banner in the works, yeah. Yeah, isn't it? Because he was really the one that pushed her forward as... um, He was one of the the supposed faceless men that orchestrated the coup in the first place. Yes, the only one with a face, really. And um, so is this... um, you know, this is happening with Gillard, but, you know, we've seen it happen before. Is this really about Julie Gillard as Prime Minister or is this about the chaos in the Labor Party? Chaos in the Labor Party, but also a new precedent for the Labor Party that as much as they say that they're not respondent to polls, mm. quite clearly they are. And that idea now is a precedent's been set where we're ready, to, uh, you know, the party is ready to just swap a leader given whatever the polls was telling them, which is an interesting... Um, new approach, instead of staying the course and having faith in a leader, it's actually indicated precedent set for having faith in the polls. Do you think this is a precedent just for the Labor Party or do you think we'd see the exact same thing from the Coalition if they were in power and saying, you know, a shift in support for their leader at the time? Look, I think, you know, Tony Abbott's actually not skyrocketing in popularity. No. It's just he looks better <laughs> compared to a, a, a flailing Labor Party. So do we see then uh, with Turnbull, this shift, yeah. do you think, so do we think if Rudd comes back in as Prime Minister, then um, what do you think that will do to Tony Abbott's popularity? nothing because he's ran a campaign thus far mocking the Labor Party tactics. Mm. He's been mocking the sort of revolving door leadership. So that because that's been the platform, he can't, then he looks very um, illegitimate and, and hypocritical. If And also I think that... Uh, uh, I'm not sure Turnbull would step up to the plate in such a circumstance anyway. It's it's not the way I think he, given the style of politician that he is, the way that he'd want to come to the leadership. Mm, Even if we saw a sudden shift in support for Abbott? Um, for Rudd, do you think? Do you mean? So, no, if there was a sudden... So, a sudden increase in support for Rudd, decrease support for Abbott, do you think Turnbull would step up Would step well, up to the plate in that situation? I think you're going to see a sudden flush of support for Rudd because that's yeah. the way polls work. Yeah. We love novelty. True. We all get this adrenaline buzz for change, and yep. I think that's not necessarily that any of us... Keep in mind, the whole reason Gillard came in was because... 
uh, poles plummeted for Rudd, mm. even though they were never as bad as they've been for, for Giller. Yep. Um, so I think you're going to see a rise, but whether that rise actually stays, how long that lasts, and that might push Rudd's hand in having an election earlier, let's say August, yep. as opposed to waiting till September. Now, some of the comments have said that Rudd's in and he is going to run an election in August um, for that very reason, you would assume. Do you think Labor can actually win from that position or is this whole scenario just doing a whole lot more damage? I think it's damage control. Mm. I think that's why we've seen Rudd say, well... Because and I, I think if you listen to t- uh, to Bill Shorten's words, and he's obviously grooming himself for a future, <laughs> um, he was very careful in talking about this being a decision for what's best for the party. And I think that's a really elegant way of phrasing. This has been so much about the egos, the massive yeah. egos of both yep. Rudd and Gillard, when in fact... A short and endorsing Rudd is let's see if something can be salvaged from a revolting situation because a whole lot of people are going to lose their seats. And in the, in the, the parliamentary system we have, the vast majority of us don't vote for Rudd and don't vote for yes. Gillard. We vote for our local member. Mm-hmm. So whatever they're doing should actually be quite irrelevant to our ultimate voting decision. But it sort of doesn't work like that. Though, no, it? and of course, because the media sells us a two-horse race story, even if that's an American president style election as opposed to what actually yep. happens here. Sure. Taking a look at Twitter now, and uh, a national political reporter for Fairfax has tweeted that a source from inside the caucus room says Rudd wins 57 to 45. First of all, Lauren, what, what, what do you reckon about that one? 57 to 45. Yeah, look, that's... Hmm, it's, it, that sounds... Because um, I, I couldn't imagine... A, you're not going to get a landslide to, yeah, totally. to either. So I think that sounds like it's a you know, a figure with some legitimacy behind it. We're going to break in. We uh, look like we've got a live press conference. We will take... Uh, who have we got? Do we know Matt? Go ahead. Returning officer. The returning officer is about to brief the media. Lauren Roseborn, stand by. We'll get back to you in a second and find, find out what he's got to say. We're going to go to a live feed of ABC News 24 right now as he's, uh, the returning officer steps up to the plate to speak to the media right here on Joy 94.9. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I am the returning officer for the Federal Parliamentary Labor Party. We have just conducted the ballot. Uh, There was a spill for the position of leadership. I can announce the result. It is uh, Kevin Rudd, 57 votes. Julia Gillard, 45 votes. Was there a spill for the deputy? There's no spill for the deputy position. Was there a deputy uh, voted in? I've just come from counting the uh, the leaders. Uh, I uh, I understand the deputy's making a statement at the moment, but uh, I thought I'd come straight out and advise the media what so the who is, who is the deputy? Will there be a new deputy tonight, and will you inform us later? We'll wait and see what's happening there. But uh, I've got to say that I've just come straight out of the meeting to advise you the results of the leadership. All right, you've heard it just there from the returning officer that, as we said, uh, Rudd has won 57 to 45. Kevin Rudd will be the new leader of the Australian Labor Party. Dr. Lauren Rose. Warren, uh, we, we are quickly running out of time, but tell us, what do you reckon this means for marriage equality in Australia? <laughs> <laughs> it had to be asked. Self-involved a little here. but we really care about, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Just want to get married. We've got to try and keep it to an issue at some point other than these people's uh, egos, surely. I think status quo, at least for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Can I ask um, a slightly more broad question? What, are we going to see a constitutional situation with this now? That was being talked about in the last week or so in the media that this is this is this is, it's such a ridiculous situation that yep. we're now going to see... Um, 
higher higher processes being taken. Do you think that's what we'll see? I think we have to because we've got a whole lot of uh, independents who are quite stubborn and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just that they're quite fixed in their views. They don't like what's happened. So they're likely to be held out to the yes. So I think we're going to see um, something we haven't seen in, in quite a few decades. So that's somewhat exciting if... Um, yeah. I don't know. Exciting oh. for political scientists, anyway. <laughs> I don't know if it's exciting for Australian politics. That's a different story. <laughs> All right. Dr. Lauren Rosewarn, uh, Senior Lecturer at the, uh, at the School of Political Sciences at the University of Melbourne. Thank you so much for bringing us through everything that we've seen tonight. Uh, it's a rather impressive thing, after all. We now have a new leader of the Labor Party and a new Prime Minister. Oh, God. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. Join News, of course, we will keep you up to date as more of these things happen. Uh, your next Join News bulletin is at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. If something like this happens, uh, if something more happens, if more developments occur, uh, we'll bring you up to date throughout the evening here on Joy 94.9. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Some more breaking news. Apparently Swan and Conroy have quit. Kieran Gilbert from Sky News is reporting that on Twitter. Uh, we'll keep you up to date throughout mm. the night when we find out more. Um, but in the meantime, Gay News Week, uh, we're moving. We're moving. Yeah, we're, we're packing pa- our bags. Packing this our bags. Small little bag. Yep. And a pen. Just, <laughs> <laughs> uh, from next Wednesday at 7pm, you'll uh, be greeted by uh, The Locker Room. We are joined by Rolly and Ben Lankin from The Locker Room. Good evening, boys. Thanks for having us. Evening. Oh, thank you very much for coming in. Mm. Sorry we've had to bump you right down to the end because of everything happening in camp. Oh, that's all right. There's a few things a bit more important than us happening this afternoon. <laughs> Surely <not. laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you listened to Channel 9 coverage? They were panicking. People have uh, been blocking their call centre with making sure that Origin's on tonight. So every three minutes <laughs> they had to say, look, Rudd's coming out, but please be mindful. So they actually had to switch the coverage to Jim. Oh, origin yeah. is the coverage a little is bit the more important. Origin or the no, election? Origin takes place over so Origin on nine. Yeah, <laughs> so they've got the rud coverage on Jim, so people are yeah, fiddling with their remotes. The country at home. really. Are you joking? Sorry, sports is not my forte. Are you joking? No, no, no. Yeah, oh no. Origin outtakes the Rudd Gillard by two to one. Me? Oh yeah, they were panicking every three minutes. They were saying, wow. "Please stop flooding the Channel Nine call room. We will switch to Origin." That <laughs> is hilarious. Well, that's incredible. Well, I think that's fair enough because you know. Well, you've got the People passion of news and you've had that on Wednesday evenings. Now you're going to get the passion of sport and decisions like this of what mm. you're going to hear on The Locker Room. What kind of other things will you be hearing on The Locker Room next Wednesday from 7? Yeah, next Wednesday we've got a big show. We're talking to um, the director of the Gay Games, which is being held in Cleveland next year, Cleveland, Ohio. Mm. So we've got that coming up. Don't forget uh, Frosty Fruits. Uh, so Gay Ski Week Gay ski. is coming so up we're, as well. Get excited about that. So we're actually planning a ski trip to New Zealand at the moment. So we'll wow. be going to Gay Ski Week New Zealand to uh, broadcast live. So um, for the people who can't make it to Queensland... Uh, Something a bit more local. Yeah, they'll be going up to uh, Mount Hotham. Of course, all the news from the Origin, the AFL, and of course the British and Irish Lions as Absolutely well. Absolutely fabulous. Ben and Rolly, thank you so much for coming um, in uh, and saying hello and uh, introducing yourselves. Uh, next Wednesday from 7. PM. Um, of course, we are moving to Tuesdays, Tuesdays at, 7 at 7 PM, or a day earlier, basically. You're 24 hours earlier, and uh, and uh, so now you've got Gay News Week on a Tuesday. That's right, and we'd just like to quickly thank the people who have helped us out, particularly on a Wednesday. Firstly, Gary Wilson, who brings the news before our show each week, and also Michael on the front desk. Thank you very much to our Wednesday supporters. We look forward to our Tuesday supporters as well. Yes, we'll introduce you them to the, um, to them next Tuesday from 7 PM. In the meantime, uh, thanks very much to Matt Knock for pushing the buttons this evening. This has been Gay News Week. We'll see you next. Tuesday at 7pm. 
You've been listening to Gay Newsweek. Check out joy.org.au slash gaynewsweek for all of the links on how you can keep up to date with the team on social media. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday from 7pm right here on Joy 94.9. To find out more about Joy 94.9, check out joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.